Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. This is Cinemasters Podcast. Episode 36. I'd love to get you on a slow boat to China. All to myself alone get you and keep you in my arms evermore leave all your lovers a weeping on a faraway shore way out on the briny with the moon big and shiny melting your heart of stone I wanna get you on a slow boat to China all to myself Hello. Hello and welcome to the Cinemasters Podcast, episode 36. Today we're talking about Judd Apatow. Should be should be fun and very long and drawn out. And as always, I'm Daniel James. I'm Jacob Lynn. I'm Andrew Miller. And I'm Tyler Kraft. Boom. No, uh, no Rudy. No Rudy. He's in tech week, which means Rudy doesn't exist this week. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll uh, jump right into our trailer segment. Jacob's up first. Yeah, going to start us off on a sad note, which is uh, early Sunday morning, woke up, was getting ready for the Super Bowl, all the festivities, and I just, you know, do a cursory glance of Twitter and see that Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away of what by all accounts is a drug overdose um as far as i've heard i haven't heard any different and uh it's kind of equally sad because uh, i guess he had whooped the addiction for a while and then i had just been hearing i I think when he was making the circuit for the hunger games uh sequel that he had apparently you know dove back into his addiction and it's just another in a long line of Uh, really talented actors who also are extremely addicted to drugs and on occasion that will get the better of them. Uh, A lot of people, you know, obviously when someone passes away, they have nice things to say about them, Uh, especially when it comes to actors, there's a big outpouring, but Philip Seymour Hoffman wasn't like, I don't know. It seems like like you're, your sexy actors don't die. I mean, not sexy and like physically sexy, but like a Tom Cruise or, you know, a, I don't know, Brad Pitt, like someone who was a big movie star, they hardly pass away too young. Um, but Philip Seymour Hoffman was a, a rare actor in that he led a lot of films that were smaller, more independent, lower budget. But then he also had really small but memorable roles in some huge films, a villain in the Mission Impossible sequel uh, and, and things like that. And 
I count him as probably one of my five or ten favorite actors. He's in some of my favorite movies. Uh, and it's just one of those things that he he wasn't old by any stretch of the imagination. He was uh, really starting to jump into directing. He had a, a TV show that was coming out. So it's not like this was the guy in the, the twilight of, of his career. It's not like he was off the map. It's not like he was even trying to reinvigorate his career. He had a you know, really great award-winning sustained career that was just transitioning into, you know, another act as he passes away. And, you know, it's just really sad. I mean, The Big Lebowski, Moneyball, even a film like the, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead that I didn't really enjoy, I loved him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doubt, Charlie Wilson's War, you know, I Twister. love that movie, and he's just a great Twister. part in it. Yeah, well, Twister. Even, even I've like, rewatched Capote. Along Came Polly. Right. I loved him in Along Came That's Polly. That's what I was This is one of my favorite films, and he just – he's so – he has such a small part in it, but his character of Lester Bangs is just so memorable because he's just so monumental in the main character's life. It's, uh, it's amazing, you know, people have been writing all these – memoriams for him and you know when you go back and actually look at all of his work and the clips you watch they are so varied in tone and yet he's amazing in every one of them he can you can you go from the master to like along came polly which isn't a very good movie but he is phenomenal in it and right can do just bold funny boogie nights i mean that that's the thing when whenever anything like this happens is uh, you know, Twitter's great for links, and so you have all these people who are linking to posts that they made about, like, in, in memorandum um, posts for Philip Seymour mm-hmm. Hoffman, but also to YouTube vid- uh, videos of clips from movie season. So, you know, one of the ones that I watched earlier today was, you know, his kind of pivotal scene for his character in Boogie Nights, which, you know, you take that and you put it up against, you know, his roles in Charlie Wilson's War or anything like that and like this is an actor who is extremely versatile and like I said he could he could have those really small parts that he'd make his own in these bigger higher budget uh, movies but then he can also lead a movie like Capote that wins him a bunch of awards uh, that he's equally great in but and there's just not a whole lot of actors like that yeah, yeah I agree I, uh, oh, sorry yeah, yeah. You, no you can go I was just going to say, I, I uh, it's bittersweet now, but I, I uh, had the privilege a couple of years ago to see him star in Mike Nichols' directed version of Death of a Salesman on Broadway, um, which which was easily one of the greatest acting performances I've ever I've ever seen. It's like I can it, only it, imagine. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Now I'd never seen that play. I knew its reputation. I didn't know a lot of details about it, but I knew obviously the importance it has in American culture. Uh, but yeah, it was, it, it, it was like, I was wa- like, I was watching it. It's like, oh, this is what acting is. Like, this is a consummate actor with every sense of the word. Yeah. And I mean, the, the man wasn't young. He was, he was 46 years old, but you know, that just, especially for when you talk about a lot of people, you know, when you talk about movie stars, you know, a movie star who's in his mid forties is probably near the end of his career, but a character right. actor you know, someone like Philip Seymour Hoffman, like he could have acted and he could have acted well and he could have acted in just such a wide variety of roles for the next 30 or 40 years. Easy had, you know, you know, general health held up and had he been able to you know, keep fighting his addiction. But like 
don't know. It's just such a loss, and it's yeah, it's really disappointing. Yeah, it just it just goes to show what what drugs and all everything does to you. Um, and addiction. I mean, a lot of people struggle with it. I mean, it just sucks. Cause I mean, I'm my family personally. We've we've had a loss from drugs, and you know, it just it it it's a shame. And it just I was talking to my girlfriend the other day about it, and just he's leaving behind his kids and his wife, you know, and it, it, it and I guess I, I, when they, I said, when I read the report of what they said, they said they found like 50 bags of heroin. I mean, it's just, it was, I was, I was astonished, but I mean, he's a great actor. I, I've loved a lot of stuff that I've seen him in. Um, and it just, it just goes to show what all that stuff can really do to you, no matter what age you are. So, terrible loss yeah Yeah. hollywood's a little darker place after it more of a story don't do drugs stay in school exactly yeah stay in school dare yeah all right tyler with some uh buffy the vampire slayer news i'm sorry (laughs) different bvs (laughs) i thought the same thing (laughs) a little different little uh batman versus superman news um Two more actors have been cast in the film. Uh, you, we have Jesse Eisenberg, who has been cast as Lex Luthor. What? Um, Internet goes crazy. I love this. So do I. I, I do, too. Um, let's just talk about this one, and we can talk about the other one really quick. Uh, what, what do you, I, I love this idea. I've, I see him. I see Jesse Eisenberg as a bald, mean, angry man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was thinking I was talking to Dan the other day. Uh, we compare. I think he's gonna be great because of his role in the Social Network, like his his fierceness, his fiery passion that he showed in that in that film. I think that's what he can translate and use that for this role. Yeah. Um, Just go back and rewatch that, and then tell me he's not gonna be a good Lex Luthor. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I I won't be able to give credit to any. Uh, one writer, but I just uh, I've been reading a lot of articles by people who uh, seem to agree with us that it's a it's a great and kind of visionary choice, or at least ha- has a strong possibility of being that way. Um, and they were saying uh, they were a lot of them were saying similar things, which is that you know when Lex Luthor was created in the comic books, the archetypal bald like mad scientist at the beginning, but then kind of evil uh, businessman was was kind of what a supervillain might be back then. But now Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg is kind of the way a supervillain would be is like this young, just extremely smart guy who is able to, you know, basically take his intelligence and use it in a modern medium uh, in order to make a huge profit and just have, you know, this huge reach over the world. And he obviously did a great job playing him in the social network. And so you just have to take some of those – you can take some of those mannerisms and translate those to a modern-day version of Lex Luthor so easily, it would seem. And Eisenberg, aside from uh, the social network, has proven himself to be an amazing actor. So I can only imagine that you know, given some time and hopefully uh, – some good writing um, as far as the script is concerned, he'll be able to just take this role and run with it. 
Yeah, and I just like how they're they're going with a younger Lex Luthor instead of an older Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. They're sticking him the same age as around uh, Superman, you know, which they've always kind of been the same age. I mean, through a lot of the yeah stuff that I've seen, so I'm I'm excited about that. I mean, Lex Luthor's probably just an up and coming at this time of this movie when this happens. But he's making a name for himself. Yeah, this this news to me was so good that I didn't have much interest in this movie. Now, when I say interest, I don't mean I, I obviously I want to see it because I'm curious, but I w- I didn't think it would be that good. Let's say that. Um, but uh, this news totally like shot my interest up for the movie, like just exponentially. And it's the he's the kind of like it's the kind of great casting that I could totally see. Like once he got cast, you totally can rewrite the character. Not and I don't I don't want a page one rewrite, but like you can definitely build a voice off of him. He said he's mm-hmm. such a very specific person. Yeah, tweak the Lex Luthor to be Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. Right. And not, you know, Gene Hackman or Kevin Spacey. So. Or Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, yes, definitely a good one. <laughs> and, and, and then on a side note, I, I do too. I liked him a lot as Lex. Um, and then on a side note, uh, Jeremy Irons will be playing Alfred Pennyworth. Um, that's interesting casting as well. That that's what I w- I was a little tired on this. It. You're happy with it? I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not ec- ecstatic about it like I was with Eisenberg, but color me intrigued. You know? Yeah. I mean, I love I love Michael Caine. I mm. loved him as Alfred. I I don't yeah. like I just can't see another Alfred. But you uh, know. Michael Caine worked perfectly for the Nolan Batman. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if he would work in this news. Justice League Batman. Jeremy Irons just seems like he's going to have a, a just such a different energy, or at least, again, he has the possibility of bringing such a different energy. And and uh, I don't see Jeremy Irons as a physical man, but he seems to have just such a uh, physical and intimidating presence in some of his roles. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, who knows if, if he would bring any of that to Alfred, if the script would call for any of that, if the director would call for any of that. But it's it's at least uh, an interesting aspect uh, to him as an actor that they could pull on and and I you know casting Eisenberg I see that they might be willing to work and uh, and do some different things there and so I just see that as maybe one little facet that they might uh, might pull out so definitely interested and until the movie comes out I mean who really knows what the hell they're gonna do but hopefully they maybe pull some from the Alfred from like the animated series that I would like to see that you know. Because, like you said, it, Kane was a Nolan-esque Alfred. Maybe pull some of the the ty- archetype of like the animated show. Because I loved Alfred in that show too. Um, yeah. But his his casting also gives me hope that hopefully they'll continue what they did in the Dark Knight trilogy, which making Alfred into a more central figure that definitely affects both Wayne and the pop plot. I mean, yeah. if you look at each of the movies movies he's very much the person who pushes Wayne into whatever he's doing in each film and usually ends up giving the the moral of the movie in some speech uh but I'm I'm hoping that you know it's a pretty high profile to have Jeremy uh Irons in there so I'm hoping that he'll be a a large part rather than just kind of thrown aside in the movie just like oh it's Jeremy Irons yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's that was kind of my worries. Like, I don't think I've ever seen Jeremy Irons in like a side role, but if that means they're gonna make Alfred more central role, then I'm okay with that. 
All right, let's uh, move on. My uh, trailer this week is Quentin Tarantino's been in the news because uh, his uh, <laughs> his eightful the his script for the Hateful Eight uh, Western that he's planning on making was leaked a few weeks ago. Um, he had apparently given it to I think six people, and somebody linked uh, leaked it, and then Gawker got a hold of it and was like, "Hey, come take a look at his script." And so he's like, hey, this is ridiculous. You guys need to pay me money. Approximately a million dollars. And Gawker's like, what? Maybe we shouldn't have done that because that's ridiculous. And it's it's interesting to see him kind of losing his shit over this. Uh, I mean, it's totally justified. And I think that it is it is a very shitty situation. It's awful that somebody would do that. Um, and he, he said he's not going to make this movie anymore because he was so frustrated about it. Now there are rumors that it's back on and people have been, uh, Samuel L. Jackson in particular has been talked to about this movie, but, uh, I don't know anything for sure. And it, it, I don't know, it was just an interesting blip in the radar where Quentin Tarantino, who's, I mean, you look at the guy and look at his movies. He's clearly not the most all to put together person. Um, so seeing really? that is not really a huge surprise. It was just, I don't know, shocking, I guess that it did happen at first and then take a step back and take a look at the whole thing. It's like, you understand where he's coming from. Yeah. I, just, I, I like that it gets made somebody had a great joke where because he was quoted as saying he only gave it to six people three of which were agents which he knew some for some reason he knew didn't didn't uh leave the room with it and then the other three was was michael madison tim roth and bruce stern and in the quote he was quoted as saying i know it wasn't roth and then somebody made a joke they're like well maybe we should look at that again because he clearly is the one who's the rat yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah who knows if it's still in development um, I, I read one place that he said something about publishing it as a book instead um, but who knows I don't know do you guys think it, he was out of line for reacting like that I think to agree I think for him to say that he's not going to do the film at all maybe might be a little overboard I mean, he, you can always make script changes and change some things up, you know. But, I mean, I think he was justified in his anger and being upset about it. I mean, I would be pissed, too. Mm -hmm. But to completely just throw away a project like that, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, especially because it's probably going to be a cash cow no matter what because it's got his name on it. Exactly. So, it seems to me like it might not be where he wanted it to be, and this is just an easy way of saying, oh, well, I have to kind of do everything over again, or I'm going to go and do a bunch of changes, or I just, I'm just i not in a place to continue on it yet, or or something like that. I mean, yeah. he's he's been known to take forever when it comes to making these movies and, and make a bunch of promises that he doesn't end up keeping. Um, you know, when he makes a movie, uh, I generally love it, but, you know, those movies are kind of few and far between, it seems. I think it, it's like, to me, it's, I, I think he has a right to be mad, but again, like, like you said, not making it is a little weird, because I think, well, firstly, his movies are not that 
at least in terms of importance, not that plot heavy. They're very dialogue and mood heavy. So that's mm-hmm. what I want to see. I mean, I'm not going to get that off the page. I want to see his cast actors read that. Um, but at the same time, the, the most important thing here, and the reason I don't have that much sympathy for him, is that apparently he's leaked his scripts before, personally. <laughs> he, he said in quotes, he was quoted as saying, I like to like leak them and hear what people think about them. So, and he, I remember Django and Chain leaking and him being totally fine with that. Now, he did it himself. It was at the time. So, obviously, it's, it's understandable that this was out of his control and it was so early in the process. Yeah. But nonetheless, he's not, it, this isn't like Nolan or Abrams where it's like, oh, Jesus, sweet Jesus, like, who did this? You know, he's, he's open to this kind of thing generally. Yeah. My understanding of that little bit was that he likes the scripts getting out there and people reading them after the fact. Uh, I don't. I might have been misreading that, but that's that was my understanding. Oh, really? I'll have to. I'll have to double check that. I might have to clarify that. And I know he did release like his uh, rough draft, not rough draft, but the full draft of Django Unchained as a, a comic book. They did, uh, I think, six or seven issues, and it's now collected in the full format, a full trade paperback. Um, haven't read it yet. Uh, I look kind of kind of want to buy it but yeah he does release his stuff for sure and so if if he does if he has leaked his stuff prior to the movie then that this is really just a hey you can't play with my toys this is my thing i have total control over it and that's really just a tantrum and that's kind of makes this a little bit worse in my eyes but whatever it's hollywood it is Hollywood. And as he said in his interview, he's like, they stole my idea. I got a hundred other ones. So he will write something else. So it's okay. Regardless, there's going to be another Tarantino movie. Whether it's a Western titled The Hateful Eight or something completely different. Who knows? And I will go see it. And so will I. All right. Andrew, what do you got for us? All right, mine's probably the most boring. I, I had a hard time off the top of my head. I don't know why I couldn't think of anything. It's been a while since we've done the show. But uh, it's a simple one, but it's more of me just announcing this movie that's been in development for a while. So it's, it's casting news that uh, Liam Neeson has joined uh, the cast of Martin Scorsese's next film, Silence, uh, also joining star of the film Andrew Garfield and uh, Ken Watanabe, um, Silence has been – I'm, I'm not sure if I would maybe call it a passion project, but uh, it has been in development for a while. Uh, it's a, a – I'm not sure if it's a necessarily a real story, but it's at least based off the real events uh, about this, I believe, 19th century Christian missionaries going to Japan to try to convert people uh, in Japan. Uh, so uh, definitely uh, Scorsese, if anyone knows him, very uh, – I'm not sure at this point what he is, but he grew up in a very Catholic household. Uh, Very, very conscious of religion. He obviously did uh, The Last Temptation of Christ. Um, All of his movies deal with morality. Uh, So it's interesting for him to uh, tackle that subject in what I can assume will be a very dismissive eye because these, from what I understand, these Christian missionaries go to Japan and the Japanese have nothing, you know, don't want anything to do with their shit. Uh, so, uh, that'll definitely be an, uh, an interesting, uh, 
film to check out. That's his next next project project at this point. So uh, uh, we'll see if it has as much you know coke and tits as Wolf of Wall Street. But uh, <laughs> my guess is probably not. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe a stretch. Cool. Also, yeah. it's good to see Liam Neeson back in a dramatic role. I'll just say that, <laughs> like a real, a real movie. Like hey, the, the Lego Movie looks very dramatic. <laughs> hey, it's at one hundred percent so far on Rotten Tomatoes. That looks way better than it should. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's by the it's by the Twenty One Jump Street guys, so you know it's going to be somewhat funny. Yeah, it looks like it'll be pretty humorous. Sweet. Yeah, I think I'm definitely going to be in for that one, just due to the credits yeah. involved. I'm, I'm dragging the girlfriend to that one <laughs> as much as she wants not to go. <laughs> By the way, a week or two ago, I was talking to my parents, and for some reason, I was like, I'm a call, I said, I'm calling it, Lego Movie is going to be at least three times better than Monuments Men. And look at the re- reviews. <laughs> oh, God. Monuments, yeah. of the that just movie just looked like it was going to fail. Right. You know, I wanted to. I wanted it to be so good because I love Bill Murray and I love John Goodman, but uh, it's a disappointment. I love Clooney. I'm still gonna see it. Who knows? But, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, see it eventually. Hasn't, hasn't sounded good. Wait, wait, wait to video. That's what I say. I'll read on that it. one. When the moon is in the seventh house. Let's get into our feature presentation. Uh, talking about what's his name, Judd Apatow, that guy. <laughs> um, which order you do you like want to go much, in? Let's do let's do chronologic, which I think is how I put it in the notes there. So Andrew, you can start us off. Okay, well I'll do just a bit of an introduction, um, and I think I think it was did I was I the one who suggested this? I'm not sure. I think, was, I think I might have. You were Jacob, and then yeah, Tyler said, "Yeah, let's do that." Well, I well, I think he's a good person to talk about because I was thinking I, I've I've been a fan of his ever since I knew him from I think it was '05 when Forty Year Old Virgin came out. So I've been following mm-hmm. him since, and, and then have have gone backwards, you know, to see his older stuff like Freaks and Geeks. And apparently, I was a fan of him from the '90s because one of my favorite kids' movies was Heavyweights, which he wrote. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so apparently I, I've, I've secretly been a fan of him my whole life. Um, but I think thinking about him and the reason I think he's important to talk about is I would argue that more than any other person in film over the last 10 years, he has had the most influence in terms of actually changing a certain genre. There, If you look at comedies that the studios were making, there's really a before – Ordeal version and Apatow taking over with all his people, and then after. Uh, 
before in the '90s, especially, there was a very much a this sort of PG thirteen esque sort of uh, uh, Austin Powers, you know, this very light sort of silly PG thirteen, and then there was also the R rated but very gross out, like um, something about Mary or um, uh, I, I don't the other Farley brother, Fairly Brother movies, American Pie. Uh, not, you know, they were separated into the PG-13 silly and then the R-rated, very, very gross and sex-oriented stuff. Starting with Furial Virgin and going on, Apatow has made this really interesting change in the comedy world where it's really blending extreme raunchiness with sort of extreme heart, while also making a sort of avant-garde style in terms of just having people talk naturally. There's a lot of dialogue in these movies. And if you look at... Most of the comedies that are released nowadays, even ones like The Hangover that have nothing to do with him, there's a very, very bromancy thing going on between the characters where there's just scenes where they're just talking and they're just having a conversation. And I think Judd Apatow should be definitely put on a pedestal for really being the one who brought that in. He's kind of like – this is going to sound weird, but let me finish. He's kind of like J.J. Abrams in terms of television in that they both – are so influential in the for the public that even when somebody does something that's not them but just associated with them, they're like, oh, that's a Judd Apatow movie. If you think of Superbad or um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall or This Is the End, you're probably going to think of Judd Apatow even though he has nothing to do – he's just produced those or has nothing to do with that movie. He's just sort of handpicked the people who made the movie who are really the stars. Uh, so – Let's start with the first one that he was uh, – first film he did, uh, which was 05's 40-Year-Old Virgin. Now, before this, he's mostly did uh, writing on a couple sitcoms. He did Heavyweights, and his big claim to fame at that point, at least from the early 90s was, or late 90s, I should say, was Freaks and Geeks, which mm-hmm. you know wasn't known at the time as a cult hit, and it's only become more popular now through Netflix and whatnot. Uh, but mostly he was known in the com- he was known through comedy people as a writer. He did writing for Ben Stiller's show, a couple other shows. Uh, he uh, I think he helped uh, produce the Cable Guy. Uh, but this is his first sort of introduction to I would say mainstream movie culture. Uh, came out in 05, stars Steve Carell, uh, who co-wrote it with um, Judd Apatow. And this was right before I believe either right before or within the first season of The Office. So right before Steve Carell was about to blow up. Um, for anybody who doesn't remember what the story is, basically uh, Steve Carell plays a this 40-year-old virgin who works at this sort of Best Buy-esque store. Uh, he uh, is very nervous. He hasn't had a lot of experience. He's, he's sort of content to live in this sort of bubble that he's made for himself. And uh, like many Judd Apatow movies, you know, uh, he meets these other guys' work and they kind of become – friends and they there's a lot of scenes of them just sort of hanging out and pushing the more grosser ones played by Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen pushing their uh, influence onto him and basically the movie's about uh, these friends trying to get him to lose his virginity but really it's not about that it's really more about this guy trying to be more confident in general uh, and he meets this woman played by Catherine Keener this older woman around his age and they start dating much to the chagrin of the other guys because they just want him to have sex um, the funny thing, I mean, it's, hearing me describe this movie, it sounds like an 80s comedy, like Porky's, like, but it's so, like, while it's definitely, I would say, easily the 
funniest and gaggiest of the movies we're going to talk about in that they have it has the most comedy to emotion ratio. Um, and the it favors comedy more. It's I would say that this is the first comedy I remember seeing, at least in my young age, really thinking like, oh, this movie like has a lot of heart and actually truly cares about the characters. Exactly. That's this, just what I was going to say. This is not a movie, even though it has like, I don't know, chest waxing and boobs and porn. <laughs> this writer clearly loves these people. And you as a viewer really become a friend of them. And you really care about, especially this guy's, this main guy's journey. I remember watching this, and to this day, I still think that I think Steve Carell's performance in it and the character himself is one of the best protagonists in any comedy I've ever seen. And that it's a perfect, and it's credit to Steve Carell and to Epitaph's directing that it's a perfect balance between comedy and pathos. Like, if you watch him perform, there's so much going on in this guy in what could have been a, just a one-note joke. It really is. I mean, even the title itself is jokey, but the movie lends itself to so much more than that. Um, I always remember there are two scenes in particular I think of uh, in terms of the movie having more going for it, is that, you know, in most movies like this, you would assume that the, the guys would push him and he'd be like, I don't know, and then they would just go for it. But there's this great scene where Paul Rudd literally chases, before he agrees to being helped by these guys, Paul Rudd literally chases Steve Carell away, and Steve Carell just flips on him and says, no, I'm not ready. I don't, you're pushing me and I don't like it. And it doesn't come off as aggressive. It just comes off as true. And then there's a later scene. Again, me saying this sounds corny, but it's played very realistically. The fact that the main character, Andy collects all these toys. Um, and he doesn't want to open them as they lose their value. He collects, you know, action figures. And he's finally with this, this woman played by Catherine Keener and, and they are having this great relationship. And she says, you know, maybe it's time to sell these toys, get some money going. And it's a very simple thing to her, but this is like a major moment in his life in terms of his development. So when she finally starts opening the boxes, he just sort of flips out and says like, you, you don't do that. This is not right. I don't like this. And you really get to see this guy's heart. And, uh, I mean, it's a lot to say. It's, it's very hard to do a balance in a movie like that that can end in literally a song. The movie literally ends in a sing-along. <laughs> and yet also, I would argue, be very true and, and, and have a lot of uh, great friendship and character moments in it. I mean, each one of the supporting players also in it. Each one of them gets, you know, scenes to shine in. Each one is well-developed. All the performances are great. Um, it's personally, it's one of my favorite comedies I've ever seen. I think it's hysterical. Every scene I think is hysterical, but also very knowing. Uh, it's it just an incredibly, I think, well done comedy. Every time I watch it, I'm kind of in awe of like, that's the kind of comedy that I would like to make. And that's the kind of comedy I, I love seeing. And I, again, I, I would honestly point to this movie saying, I think this, this really changed, uh, the sort of style of what comedies were going to be and what they are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just and kind of you talking re talking because I watched I watched all these last week, and the metaphor for his toys are kind of like it's like his virginity. The toys are his virginity, like building up to it. Once he's letting go of the toys, he's letting go of the hey, I can do this, I'm ready, you know, and finally builds up to that point, which I kind of I don't know if anybody else kind of took right. that the same way the metaphor. Of that, but I mean, there's just a lot of stuff in this movie that I loved. I mean, 
everybody is all well-rounded. There's there's no bleak character whatsoever. Every character has their role, which it's I love Kevin Hart. God, Kevin Hart in this movie. I didn't even realize who it was at the time. But then now I, when I watch it, I go, Kevin Hart is so funny. <laughs> I just love seeing him in that, in that uh, little scene. But like, everything, everything had a purpose in the role. Nothing was wasted, and it was, it was great. Yeah, and it, it also, just to touch a little bit more, I think it also brought in the first movie. I can think of that really brought in this idea of the man-child in terms of this sort of arrested development that so many of his protagonists have and that in all these already movies it always climaxes in this guy having sex with a hot girl or wanting to have sex with a hot girl and this sex with a hot girl is horrifying it's it scares yeah. him he's very <laughs> afraid of it and a very and I think excellent a of, hilarious scene too oh it's hysterical yeah in a lot of avatar movies if not every single one of them if i went back and checked it I think sex is almost seen as very horrifying rather than titillating. There's never a movie I think that ends of his in like a congratulatory sex. It's very much like, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, I'm nervous. It's very much a you know Jewish nebbish, nebbish style guy version of of it. And I think it says says something about the movie that as a 17 year old boy, I identified more with that protagonist than I ever did with you know American Pie or. Other other movies that were involved my age oh yeah definitely i remember seeing it in the theater and thinking kind of the same thing and just i mean it just seemed i think it also caught me off guard in what we were talking about earlier and that it had so much heart and i i thought that i was going into a movie that would be more american pie than whatever the hell you would call this because i mean it just was i mean it was an actual film um it wasn't a joke machine. It had a bunch of jokes that were strung together, but it was a full film uh, with a full emotional experience and full characters who went on real journeys. And that's, I think, something that Apatow does. He gives his uh, actors, you know, it's for the most part, it's the same crew coming back time and time again, or at least some of the major pieces. And they definitely have their style of comedy. It's kind of get everybody in a room. They know their characters, let them riff, and they'll come up with funny stuff. But Apatow is there to make sure that they stay on track and to make sure that the uh, the story and the emotional character beats are there to kind of encompass all the comedy that the guys are doing. Yeah, uh, I finally watched this movie last week uh only what, what eight and a half years late um <laughs> and yeah, i was it's just one of those you surprised. can't watch everything deals i mean you know you say what because it seems like everybody's seen four-year-old virgin but there are just so many movies out there i was just so dead set against it because of my dislike of steve carell and his overacting jokes and this movie <laughs> doesn't do any of that until the very end with the musical but then I, I checked out at that point, but at that point, everything had happened, and it was already so good. Uh, the only real complaint I have about this movie is it's one of those where most of the problems could be solved by a simple conversation, and it eventually is, but that's, you know, after an hour of, or half hour of the the conflicts just escalating and escalating between Steve Carell and his girlfriend and then like as soon as that issue started he could have fixed it by saying hey i'm a virgin 
I know that's really embarrassing and I hate it, but you know, he does that. Um, minor thing because it eventually does happen but that that was my only real complaint because it, it is it is a very honest movie and very real characters and a very real view of sex because sometimes it is ugly and the chick is absolutely nuts and <laughs> don't want to be there anymore so yeah uh, I'm Kinda glad I waited this long so I could actually appreciate this movie. I feel like if I had watched it any sooner, I wouldn't have been able to distance myself from my uh, arguably ridiculous and unfounded dislike of Steve Carell. Right. It's funny you said that because this is the I had the exact opposite. I saw this in theaters and was like, I will be forever in love with you, Steve Carell. And then I saw The Office and was like, oh, even more so now. I will always love yeah. you. That's, no matter uh, what movie he's in, I think exactly. I'm always – he's in a lot of bad movies, but I'm always a fan of him, almost almost in everything. And he's got a lot of range, uh, I mean, from Dan in real life to this to that. And I heard he's Just really, really good. Just going to toss out the way, way back. That's what my, um, my girlfriend yeah. tells me I have to watch yeah. it. I'm going to watch it soon. He's I a heard prick. He's, I, I heard he's you hate good. him. I heard, yeah. you, I heard you hate him. Yeah, so, well, definitely wait. correct. Wait to Bennett Miller's next movie. He plays a murderer in a true. Oh yeah. Oh, I I really yeah. want to see this movie. That's yeah. With Channing Tatum and Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, I can't oh, wait. I'm, to see that. I'm excited about that one. But yeah, no, I think I don't know. This or Knocked Up is probably my favorite. What a solid segue, sir. <laughs> knocked Up, a movie about a chick who gets knocked up. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. Surprise. Catherine <laughs> Heigl and Seth Rogen meet on a date and get it on, and she gets pregnant. And the story follows their role. relationship as he tries to do the right thing and isn't very good at it. And they eventually end up having a baby, and it's just a glorious mess. This is the only one of his movies I've seen in theaters. Random. Um, yeah, it, it was really good. Uh, like most of his movies, it's very long. Um, 40 year old versions, the shortest movie that he directed. That's, uh, what is it? 116 minutes, just under two hours. It's a long movie. It's a lot to sit through. There's a lot of it that's necessary though, uh, to tell the story they tell, a lot of emotions, ups and downs. It's it's crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good movie. Not sure what else to say about it. I've definitely seen it and Forty Year Old Virgin the most yeah. out of not just Apatow films, but of recent comedies. I think of comedies of the last decade ish. Um, if you add up Knocked Up and uh, Forty Old Virgin, uh, I'm not sure there's many films uh, that I've, I've seen more than those. Yeah, and it's it's also hard to remember but because I don't think it's really talked about as much. But when Forty Old Virgin and then even more so when Knocked Up came out, I mean, if you go back and look at the reviews, there are a lot of four-star reviews across the board. I mean, it was it, – 
him coming up, he was being heralded as the sort of the new comedy master of America almost immediately. Uh, I mean, it's it's sort of weird. It was a very strange thing to have these comedies be lauded on people's like best ten list of the. And year. he helped launch or relaunch a bunch of careers. Oh yeah, definitely not Catherine Heigl's. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, Seth Rogen. Um, uh, I mean, he got his. He helped. Uh, you know, part of his start was uh, in some of the earlier TV works that we had mentioned, um, mm-hmm. writing and. Uh, uh, acting in him, but you know he got a big push. Carell got a big push from him, uh, and but yeah, exactly what you said, Andrew. Like I, I remember these were kind of the odd critical darlings, um, yeah. especially where comedies are concerned. But I, I'm serious when I say this. I think he's made this into an actual graphic. Take away Todd Phillips, who did The Hangover, mm-hmm. and think of any of your favorite comedies over. The- the last 10 years and then take away maybe um, Adam McKay. You got to take away Adam nope, McKay. No, nope. Adam McKay's there. Take okay. take out Todd Phillips and take out Edgar Wright. Okay. Everyone else and any movie you can think of, I bet you has a connection to him, including Adam McKay. And I think somebody's created something called the uh, John Apatow Vortex, okay. where they show like how everyone is connected to his sort of nexus. I mean, Adam McKay produced Anchorman. Oh, yeah, he yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, he, and, yeah. Well, he directed Same Anchorman. Same Talladega. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense, yeah, because Judd Apatow, yeah, helped produce that. Okay, no, you're right. Yeah, Judd Apatow, I think, he he has been a, a vocal point in the comedy community for the past 20 years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, he's been integral to a lot of, of the blockbuster comedies, you know? I mean, that's, I mean, if you think about it, he has a lot of producing credits. I think like sixty-four producing credits. Yeah, he's An yeah, he's sort of Sixty-two, and he's he's written thirty-one. So. And also, let's remember he he can produce something like like Walk Hard, mm-hmm. and then also turn around. Rides made. Well, well, yeah, but I was gonna say just to, to like contrast, he can produce oh. like Walk Hard, and then he can produce like Girls. Yeah. So, I mean, he has a, a huge range of interests in terms of what he, what he wants to do. And also, Knocked Up, I remember, going back to the time, that was huge. And I remember I, I remember loving it, not as much as 40-year-old version, but still, it's still fantastic. And I still think it's, again, I've seen it so many times, probably one of the best of the last 10 years. Then two months later came super bad. Then that's why I was talking about the J.J. J. Abrams thing, which I kind of think of when I think of, like, Lost or Fringe or Cloverfield or something. Um, that Superbad was only produced by him, but it felt like it was the age of yeah. Avatar. It felt like yeah. it was just his movie, even though he really did not... I mean, it was Seth Rogen wrote it with his writing partner. Greg Mottola directed it. But it felt like if you were talking to somebody, you'd be like, oh, have you seen that J.J.? You know, or not J.J., sorry. Have you seen that uh, uh, Judd Apatow? You know, oh, yeah, Judd Apatow did the Superbad. Which it just shows the influence he has. And I'm sure that's what Seth Rogen has like gained from him, but knowing him throughout the years and stuff and all that. So, I mean, that's just it's great to see his influence on things yeah. like it. Because especially Bridesmaids, I mean, Bridesmaids felt like a Judd Apatow directed film too. Um, yeah. I lo- absolutely love Bridesmaids. <laughs> Definitely one of my favorite comedies. We'll also notice in the arc of where we're going in these movies that with every new film, he gets both more dramatic 
and he gets less plotty in yeah. that there tends to be more drama and also the story doesn't really matter much. It sort of turns more and more into more like vignettes. So 40-year-old version, you know, it's fairly, there are a lot of, again, while it's heartfelt and everything, there are a lot of gags. There's a lot of story going on. Knocked Up also, you know, still you have the main pregnancy story, but it's also, I'd say, a little bit more loosey-goosey and just sort of showing time. And then while we go into the next two films, I think that gets even more, more so. Yeah, again, nice segue. Looking out for love In the night so still Oh, how dim your kingdom In that house on the hill Looking out for love Big, big love You said that you love me All right, I guess I love um, and the next film we're going to talk about is Funny People, which was uh, released in 2009, written, directed, produced uh, by Judd Apatow. And Funny People is a story um, about a actor-comedian played by Adam Sandler who learns that he has a terminal illness and decides to uh, reevaluate his life and see if he can make some changes moving forward. It's also the movie that Although I enjoyed it, I, I probably unfairly blame it for the uh, uh, trajectory of Adam Sandler's career um, because the uh, character he plays in Funny People is uh, very a very close approx- uh, a proximity to what one might imagine Adam Sandler's actual life was like. And uh, we've all probably seen him take on some dramatic roles before some I've really liked some I didn't like so much, but, but respected. And I think that had funny people gone over better, uh, either critically, um, or with the general, uh, public, it actually lost, uh, money. It, uh, cost 75 million and only grossed, uh, 71 worldwide had either or both of those things happened. I, I just, I kind of believe that Adam Sandler would have uh, continued to transition into uh, still commercial, but kind of more respectable films. But I think if you take a look, you'll see that after this flopped, he reverted back to the Happy Madison tropes, lowest common denominator films for six-year-olds. <laughs> uh, and and maybe it's not fair to blame funny people for it. It was actually a movie that I somewhat enjoyed, although it's my least favorite of the Apatow films, and it's long as hell. It's almost two and a half hours. <laughs> so long. But there, there was a lot within it to like. Um, including some of the stand-up and just Adam Sandler. I, I like him a lot, even though he's kind of playing an asshole in the movie. Yeah, I, honestly, this is one of my favorite roles of Adam Sandler, personally. It just shows, like, it showed his actual true range as an actor um, mm-hmm. that you really, you've never seen before. Like, this was something you've never seen. I mean, I mean, you kind of got it in Click, you know? You kind of got how he could be, like, the kind of dramatic actor, kind of, like, down in the dumps, but this was his like dark, how his low that you could see what he would be like. And I really, I really appreciate it. And I wish it would have done a lot better um, for that. Cause I thought he did fantastic. I mean, 
I really like Seth Rogen in it too. I mean, he he's just a solid. I think he's a solid actor all around. I love Seth Rogen. I think he's got tremendous range too, uh, for an actor. And he's I think he's really come up into his own nowadays. And just yeah, that's what I have to feel about it. I'm going to go a step further about Adam Sandler and say that I think this him choosing this role and him taking it is one of the boldest decisions I think I've seen an actor in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. This is – I mean if you see this movie again, he is a fucking asshole in this movie. I mean there this is warts and all in every fathom and shape. And he, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to underestimate how much he's playing himself. The movie literally begins with real footage of him when he was yeah. in his 20s. I mean, like, I, I don't think I can think of another actor who's not only sent up his image, but said his image was bullshit. Like, there have been other actors who've maybe cameoed or made fun of his, he, you know, like, oh, I'm like this, aren't I? No, this is Adam Sandler going in this movie, and even his talk with, like, Eminem and all these other scenes. God, they, the whole movie is a commentary on how he's soulless. Like, it's amazing. I, it's really incredible to me that he agreed to do it. Um, and, he, yeah, he gives a really good performance in it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's both very sad, sacky, and you, you feel bad for him. He's also just a giant ass who... I mean, uh, I think the main scenes that I can remember is the sort of way that Seth Rogen will try to do something nice to him, and he'll just sort of snap on him and just be a complete ass. And then, I uh, again, I'm I'm going to definitely side on the more – I'm probably the one who – I haven't heard Dan yet, but the one who liked this movie the most. Um, again, not to keep my Jet Apatow boner going, but – uh, I also love this movie and think it's very underrated. Um, it is extremely long, don't get me wrong. It's almost, you could argue, two films. Uh, once he leaves the stand-up world, he, there's this whole, whole 30, 40-minute other section where he visits his uh, ex-girlfriend who sort of long lost love and, and sees her family. Um, and so de- it's definitely overstuffed. It's definitely, definitely long. But it, when the detour, to me, is so well put together... I, I really don't mind it. And I think it's important that from the character perspective that he's trying to get out of that world of comedy and that showbiz role that to me it makes sense that we would have this long interlude there. Um, though I do agree, it definitely it could have been trimmed. Um, but there are so many good scenes in this movie. The one that stands out to me I think the most and the major reason that I think it's totally worth anything that goes on with uh, the last 30 minutes is – uh, for if you don't remember, uh, Adam Sandler finds his old girlfriend, and you know he he he's coming back from this this brink of disease, and he you know he's like, oh, this was the girl I lost. I must regain her. Um, and again, this would be the plot of any other movie, and of course, in any other comedy, he would succeed. That's how the movie would end. Oh, I loved you too. Oh, I was so wrong. This is blah 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 blah. But in this movie, even though it might hint at that, the movie plays him as very much the villain by the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's it's uncompromising in showing that this woman has a fucking family now. You can't just waltz in for what you want. Not only that, but I mean, there's this great, very detailed description of philandering in that Eric Bannis' character is having an affair, and in any other movie, that'd be it. But they reconcile because marriage is fucking hard and that's you know they they raised a family this is their life and adam sandler gave up that chance 
And I think the one scene that I remember from the movie more than any other scene, I think, is the one near the end where it's he's finally he slept again with this girlfriend, his old girlfriend. There's a hint that they might actually not only get back together, but he might take the kids and everything. And the dawning of the responsibility starts to come on to him, and he starts getting a little bit back into his old ways. He starts drinking more. He starts being more aggressive. And then there's this amazing scene where his girlfriend plays him the video of her daughter's recital, ballet recital. And uh, it's this, you know, it's a, it's a normal video. It just looks like a, you know, a normal homemade video of a girl in a ballet recital who's like around eight years old. And uh, everyone's reaction, of Seth Rogen's, the mother's reaction is one of, you know, adorability and, and awe. And Adam Sandler just sits there and laughs and says, how fucking stupid is this? Look at the little tutus and shit. And it, it plays as a sort of horrifying scene of this man who's just not an adult at all. Again, going with Apatow's thing of not growing up, I would say this was easily the darkest one of them. Uh, but, I mean, it gives... I'm proud of the movie because, to me, it gives no easy out for him. There's a little hint of it at the end, but not much. Uh, and I think it was a bold choice of Apatow to choose this. Again, like me and Jacob were saying... He was coming off of two of the best-received comedies of all time, uh, at least in terms of, like, immediate reception. Uh, and he decided to do this, a pretty dramatic, overlong, very aggressive movie. And I know in interviews, he was interviewed saying that he didn't want to just do comedy. He wanted to be the next James L. Brooks. Uh, if you know James L. Brooks, he directed uh, Terms of Endearment, Broadcast News, and... Uh, as good as it gets. He was known for really coining dramedy as being, you know, a drama and comedy. And I think this was the movie, Funny People, that really, I think, turned him, uh, and was, as you'll see in This is 40, turned him more towards that. Yeah. It, it's, it is a very intense movie, not only in length, but in, in the, the stories that it tells and the land that it treads so to speak um it's it's good it is uh good performances all around a lot of good comedy the the stand-up stuff that they talk about like it's pretty funny i really like the m&m scene <laughs> with every with raymond <laughs> i mean ray romano i mean that was just funny i mean i just couldn't help but laughing because it's like you'd feel like that's how really eminem would act in real life yeah and it's like i thought everybody loved you <laughs> i everyone's went to ray but no sorry that's just that's that's one of the scenes that stands out for me i just because I, I just thought it you have all this intense stuff going on and then you have just this one part you're just like hey <laughs> but no i really i really like the ira and his roommate scenes uh i really like that little I mean, because there was kind of a story within the story. I mean, you had the whole entire Adam Sandler storyline of him having this disease and almost on the brink of death. But you also had Ira, who was this up-and-coming comic who wanted to make a name for himself, wanted to get out there and do things. And you kind of saw him growing up as well and progressing into this comic that could actually do something. You know, and it, it it was just nice to see there was multiple storylines that meshed pretty well together, which I appreciated too because they weren't really that convoluted with each other because they they went along well. 
because it just wasn't all about Adam Sandler mm-hmm. and his character. So. It, it's also it's also funny to point out that this is the movie, and then this is forty, which we'll talk to next, is even more so. But this is the movie where I really started to think, like, wow, Judd Apatow is really trying to work out shit with his wife on screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a very, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, Leslie Mann, the woman in this who plays Adam Sandler's ex-lover, is Judd Apatow's wife, and I mean, <laughs> he's, he, he's not just using her for some random role, I mean, he's put her through the ringer in this dr- dramatic role, and he, he casts his own kids. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's almost like the only one missing from it is Apatow, and you gotta wonder who he is in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and it's funny, like, because Leslie Mann has been in every single movie he's directed so far, and then Maude and Iris have been in the past three. So, I mean, it's nice. And Leslie Mann is not a bad actress. She is not a bad actress at all. I don't think she's terrible. I think she plays her roles pretty well for what she's given, especially in these films. Yeah, that's how I feel about her. I don't think she's great. I don't think she's bad. I think she's she's fine. Yeah, that's she, kind of she, been my... she, she's good enough. And speaking of This is 40, and Leslie Mann, and Judd Apatow, we have his latest movie, movie This is 40, starring Paul Rudd, Leslie Mann, um, Jason Siegel is in it, and Mud Apatow, Maude Apatow, who is the older of the two, has a bigger role in this. Um, but basically, this is sort of a sequel. This is what they, they title it as, is a sort of sequel to Knocked Up. Uh, the main protagonist, the main character is this Pete and Debbie from Knocked Up, which was Catherine Heigl's... Debbie is Catherine Heigl's sister in Knocked Up, and like their whole storyline. And basically, they're both turning 40, and they're both going through their midlife crisis. Crises, and it's just their business. They're both their businesses are failing. Their kids hate each other. Um, they're on the verge of losing their house, and just a lot of stuff is just threatening their whole entire livelihood and their relationships. Um, this is the least uh, critically acclaimed of the of the four films. This uh, thing got like a fifty three on Rotten Tomatoes. I believe fifty one. Fifty one. But I mean, it's just it it brings a lot of the characters from Knocked Up back. Uh, It adds some new elements. Albert Brooks as uh, Pete's dad, uh, who Pete gives him a lot of money to because his dad had test two babies with a woman. He had triplets. Ends up having triplets and giving money. And it's just it's a real it's it. I think it's a real honest depiction of some of families today uh, and the struggles they go through. And especially, I mean, kind of just having their own business and having these families and just the problems and these kids. And they're, and they, at one point they all, they're just like, Oh, we're going to get rid of the Wi-Fi." And, and Maude Apatow freaks out and says, you can't get rid of the Wi-Fi," And just, it's a whole thing. And, you know, I honestly, this is, I like this movie probably a lot more than Funny People. I don't know why, but it's it's it would this would probably be my third favorite movie of the Apatow. And the surprise I think role of the whole entire film was Maude Apatow because she really 
she kind of came into her own in this movie. She she gave a really good performance for what she did. I mean, it didn't seem too. It seemed like a real thirteen-year-old girl or fifteen or however old she is, and a depiction of what she would be going through in that film. So, uh, yeah. What do, what do you? How do you guys feel about this movie? I did not make it all the way through this movie. Uh, I have not seen it. Got okay. half hour, maybe forty minutes in, realized nothing was happening and didn't feel like anything was going to happen. Uh be interested in to know like what the stories are being told are. Uh because Avatar has a way of taking a central thing and having that as a vehicle to tell a whole bunch of different character stories. Like Forty Year Old Virgin is a bunch of stories revolved around this one guy losing his virginity and knocked up is a bunch of different stories about uh, around this couple that you know got pregnant off of a one night stand um but this doesn't seem to have that through line in a, in a way that was intriguing to me uh it, it's it's an event that isn't really explored enough or wasn't in the parts that i watched of it to get me into the movie so i don't know i might see it probably not in a while (laughs) i mean that's that's understandable i i I saw it this is the only one of the again you can tell how much a fan i am of him this is the one i i did not care for very much um probably maybe if i was to rate it maybe like a c or a c plus um yeah, it's it's. I mean, we like I said before, each of his movies get more and more dramatic and and more vignette and I think this is definitely the accumulation of that. And it's funny you mentioned that, Daniel. It really has no story. It's very much just a series. There are things that happen, but it's very much just a series of instances in this sort of year of this couple's life, and that's it. It's the I, I, reading interviews. He he clearly said he wanted to just kind of show what a marriage is. Without sort of things happening, you just wanted to show problems and just let it flow. Uh, it's a very sort of art filmy take on it, and that yeah, there really isn't a lot of development. There's no really central problem or central obstacle to overcome. It's more of it's a very it's a very existential thing about them getting older and then being married. Um, yeah, I just to me the balance between comedy and drama here just did not work for me. Like it, to me, it was not funny enough to to lighten the mood of the drama that he's usually very good at doing and the drama just felt more perfunctory like it was it was it felt some it felt constant and just kind of playing the same uh points over and over and over again for you know two two fifty two hours and 15 minutes um again it's i have nothing but respect for him for trying something like this Mm -hmm. just sort of showing a marriage and just showing scenes from a year and just kind of not really forcing any sort of real story on it. It just did not work for me. Um, the acting's fine. Uh, yeah, it's, it's clearly, I mean, it's interesting. He's, he's a very interesting person to watch as a director. Cause you really wonder where he's going to go from here. Is he going to try? Cause this movie flopped also, I think in, in terms of, uh, in terms of reception and then also in terms of finance, um, and I'm very curious: Is he going to keep trying? Is he going to keep going in this arc? Like, is he, is he going to get even less plotty and even more just sort of talking, or is he going to try to backtrack a little bit? 
Um, but, I mean, if Funny People was the one that sort of made it show that he had sort of, uh, you know, a chink in his armor in terms of being this perfectly respected person, this was the one that sort of uh, brought all the haters out. All the talk about the length of the movie and the uh, Apatow, you know, he's too much drama. Oh, Apatow only knows how to write for rich white people. Um, I, I saw an interesting concept of somebody did a term where he said, this is, this is, I think, an L.A. reviewer who said it, it's a West of the 405 movie. Which, if you know L.A., there's this highway called 405, and west of it is like Malibu, where it's white people and mansions. And they were basically criticizing this and like movies like It's Complicated, these Nancy Meyer movies. It's just, you know, like, oh, woe is me. I live in this beautiful house. I have this beautiful job and my record label, and, you know, I have wonderful kids, and oh, God, life is hard. Um, I don't know if that's a fair comparison or a fair accusation. I mean, there's nothing wrong with tackling the sort of existential dread of growing up or, you know, going through life. But it definitely speaks to this fact that maybe Apatow might be a little too into his own stuff and maybe needs to push it back a little bit and go to maybe his more earlier films. Or have a co-writer, a, a person who is there. Because um, like I like with uh, Forty Old Virgin, I mean he had Steve Carell. So bring someone in to have that that other, that person on your shoulder to say, hey, no, let's do this, or hey, this right. might be too much, you know. I mean I want Apatow to make more films. I want him to direct more films. I love him as a director, and I don't want him to give up. Just after I mean his last two films, I mean just didn't pan out as the way he probably wanted him to. But I want him to have the courage and, and the opportunities to do so. Just maybe bring in someone else to help him with that and be the voice of reason for him. Yeah, that that being said, he did just write a great episode of Girls. If anyone watches Girls. Uh, I have I, not I, watched this season yeah. yet. But I'm, heard... not sure if it was, I'm not sure if it was this last episode or the one before that, but he wrote co-wrote one of them, and it was it was very, very good. <laughs> so he, it's not like he's not doing good stuff. I mean, it was a great episode. Um, but, yeah, I think I think his next film is he's doing something with Amy Schumer. Um, I believe he's directing, and it's the first time he's directing, I think, not off his script, I believe. Uh, I'll have to double-check mm -hmm. that, but... That's yeah, what I think, it looks like on IMDb, yeah. titled yeah. uh, Trainwreck. Which, to me, I kind of feel sad about because I don't want him to completely take his hands off it. The The writing is one of the best things I like about Judd Apatow. Uh, but it will be interesting to see what he will do working with someone else's material. Uh, I have no doubt he'll try to mend it for himself, but uh, that would definitely be interesting to see. I don't know how I feel about Amy Schumer. But we'll see. We certainly will.
wraps that up. All right, so we'll go to credits, our credits segment. I've beat a few video games this weekend. Uh, first being God of War Ascension. It's a good game if you like God of War. This is kind of like a prequel. Tells you a little bit extra about what's going on in the first movie. Um, kind of before the first game, rather. Not movie. It, it's Yeah, if you like God of War, go ahead and play this one. It's another pretty good God of War game. But the big one is uh, Legend of Zelda, Link Between Worlds. Great game uh, for the 3DS, the newest Zelda game and the excellent franchise of Zelda. And, yeah, it's it's a great game. It's uh, got a lot of very familiar aspects from other games. There's um, specifically, there's uh, a lot of... Well, it's the same map or a very similar map as A Link to the Past. It's got a lot of uh, story things taken from Ocarina of Time with the seven sages and visually looks similar in the the different locations. And uh, also there's a dark world like uh, Twilight Princess. But on top of that, they can go with a bunch of new stuff, very new stuff that makes it even better. So, I don't know. I guess the best way to describe it is it's a link between the old and the new. The, those are the worlds that it's linking between. Great game. That's cool. Yeah, I've heard, it's, I've heard great, nothing but great things about it. Best new game have, I've played in five plus years. Nah, really? I don't have a three DS, but I wish if I had one I'd definitely buy this game. It's worth getting for this game. Mm. Can't you get it without the three D now? Uh yeah, no, you but... can get a two DS. Uh they don't make it that it one that it folds over though, so it's just like this brick, like a little uh tablet almost. Right. Inside. Yeah, I heard it's actually very so. ergonomically uh sound though. It could be. But, hey, I used to have a Game Boy Advance. I took that <laughs> shit everywhere. Dude, I still have it. I still got Pokemon uh, Ruby Red and Fire Red. Hells yeah. <laughs> All right, Andrew, what do you got for us? All right, my recommendation is the incredible new show on HBO, True Detective. Uh, yes. Which is a... Second. I'm, I'm going to screw up the word for it, but... It's an anth uh, whatever anthology. It's an yep. anthology show, um, which is uh, basically uh, it's being developed as a it will be completely new cast, completely new story every season, very much American Horror Story like. Uh, but uh, it stars Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Uh, I think it's only ten episodes, so it's not very long. Uh, but uh, I mean. Go if you've been paying attention to the buzz and everything and reviews, the hype is not off. This is a phenomenal show. Uh, it's three episodes in, so you wouldn't have much for to catch up at, at this point. Um, don't avoid it just because you think what else can you do with cop shows? Because I mean, <laughs> there's there's been so much ground shredded, but uh, it's just it it feels like the almost like the 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 epicenter of, of that. It takes every sort of developed cop like 
intense thing that's developed over narratives over the years and sort of puts them all into this one story between these two cops played by McConaughey and uh, Harrelson and they were both very diametrically opposed to different views in life and the framing device of the show uh, is very interesting in that you see them present day and they're being interviewed about a case and then it flashes back to their them doing the case in the 90s. Um, so it's a very uh, dynamic way of telling the story. Uh, it's one of the great shows where, like my my favorite types of shows, where uh, you watch the pilot and you're like, you you both feel like you're in perfect hands and the show has perfectly expressed what it is, tonally and everything, but at the same time it feels like it can still go anywhere. Like the imagination is anywhere possible. This show really... But, you know, if you think of, like, pilots in expansive shows like Lost or Breaking Bad, this one's pilot has that same sort of feel where you're just like, this, this show, the creator, I think, is a novelist, but I, he's never done film before, but clearly he, he's just got his hands all over what he wants this to be, and it could really expand in so many different beautiful directions. So I definitely suggest checking it out. Also, the acting in it between the two guys is... Some of the best acting I've ever seen on television, and that's oh, they're, only three they're episodes. perfect. They're perfect for each yeah. other. They yeah. they complement each other perfectly. I mean, me and my dad watch this, and me and my girlfriend watch this. It it I absolutely love the show. Matthew McConaughey, what and Woody Harrelson were meant to be on screen with yeah. each other. They were like born this. to play these these parts. And, and you know, it it's so it's so perfect because they each have something that the other needs. Right. Yeah, that's perfectly life. describing it. Yeah, you're right. And you know, it's just I love this show. There, I, I was so I was so upset. I mean, yeah, the Super Bowl is on Sunday, but there wasn't a new True Detective. I mean, I was like, ah. Uh. And you know, and I, I love this show. One yeah, personal, I'm a big fan. One personal shout out to the show. Uh, the show is amazing in every aspect, but the one thing that I will point out more than anything that I think the show does maybe some of the best I've ever seen is the monologues that McConaughey has. Uh, he has some of the greatest monologues I think I've ever heard in any form of narrative. Uh, don't watch it if you're depressed. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, McConaughey is. hates life. But, uh, it's incredibly poetic and just rap, like just incredible monologues that just are so full of detail and so full of emotion. It's It's unbelievable some of the the things that he says that that the nick palazzo wrote or whatever his name is i think that's his name nick palazzo yeah this definitely gets my two thumbs way 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 up one of the i think by far one of the best shows on television right now no question yeah it's my favorite no question yeah no doubt all right moving on tyler all right all right all right but <laughs> Let me let me let me let me start off saying that uh, I'm not the biggest anime fan in the world. I mean, I love Dragon Ball Z and I love some things here and there, but uh, my friend Nolan told me about the show on Netflix called Attack on Titan. Um, it's pretty much it came out last year and it's on Netflix. Definitely check it out. Um, basically, it's humanity uh, walled themselves off from the whole world with these three walls: uh, Rose, Maria, and something else from these beings called titans which are outside the they basically the only point of the titan 
is to eat humans and destroy things. Uh, it's uh, it's subtitled, but honestly, it's probably some of the best story-driven things I've seen. Uh, you might get creeped out at first from the Titans and the way they look, um, but they're it's not it, you can get over it quickly. But I mean, it's a great narrative. It's it's just. The story, it just keeps you coming back for more and more every time. Uh, definitely check that out. And then also another thing on uh, Netflix is Lilyhammer, starring Stephen Van Sant. Um, Lilyhammer is about a gangster who rats on the, the top mob boss. And the, I think it was the FBI said they'll put relocate him anywhere, and he decides he goes wants to go to Lilyhammer, Norway, because he loved Lilyhammer from the 1994 Olympics. And basically, it's just him going over to Norway and living there, and basically kind of being a mob guy there and starting a whole new life. And it's just it, it's also it's partly subtitled in Norwegian. But um, it's a great show. I highly recommend both these shows. If you have Netflix, definitely check them out. They're great. Um, have you guys ever heard of this stuff that I've talked about? I haven't heard of Attack uh, on Titan, but I've heard of Lilyhammer. I, I haven't seen it, though, but it's been in my uh, queue or my list, I guess, now for a while. I've, I've watched the first episode. You'll be hooked. I promise you. It, it's fantastic. It's I... very well written and very well acted, too. I've I've never watched it, but I think it's it's funny how most people probably if you if you were to ask them what was Netflix's first show, they'd say, Oh, House of Cards. But no, this, this really. was their first show. Yeah. It, 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 it was originally planned by a Norwegian or someone else, but Netflix picked it up to do it. Like to yeah. finish it out, I guess, to stream. So but no, this is it's a great show. I saw it one time, I was like, What is this? And then I watched it and I had to watch the first pilot, the first episode twice, but once I did that, I just got hooked. So, check it out. It's a great show to check to watch. So, all right, uh, I have two recommendations. My first one is uh, also available on Netflix, and it's the documentary "Dirty Wars," which is nominated for an Oscar uh, this year's Oscars. It's a documentary by the journalist Jeremy Scahill, and it's uh, a deep dive into the war on terror, specifically the JSOC um, Joint Special Operations Command group and a lot of the kind of black ops that they were um, going and, and doing off books. And an interesting thing is that this uh, the the JSOC group is kind of what SEAL Team Six is a part of, I guess. And so, as he's going and doing this deep dive, as no one's going to talk to him about what JSOC is and what they do, and he's doing all this really deep and intense investigative journalism. Near the end of the film, uh, it all comes out to the light of day because Bin Laden was killed by. SEAL Team 6 and so now like all these people are in the news because it was a big win for us and JSOC was the one who took credit for it um, Scahill uh, I've seen on a lot of stuff like Real Time with Bill Maher and some random uh, uh, political talk shows over the past couple of years he honestly although I probably agree with him quite a bit politically comes off as a huge prick uh, and you can see that in the documentary too he's really full of himself and just kind of the way he narrates it is a little off-putting but some of the stuff that he uncovers and the way it's presented is really interesting and 
I haven't seen enough documentaries from the last year to say whether or not Dirty Wars uh, deserved a Oscar nomination. Uh, it's not in line with the upper echelon of documentaries I've seen in the past couple years. Uh, so that maybe makes me think that it's it's more of a, a content uh, thing this time around. But it was really um, interesting and captivating just because it's the the thing with documentaries is sometimes it can be just the subject of the documentary that makes it worthwhile uh but the access that he he gets and the lengths he goes to to go and interview these uh these people who live in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan you know just in the middle of the desert hours away from most civilization in enemy territory is is just kind of crazy and well worth the watch and it's really easy to be um to kind of stay in our own little bubbles and especially nowadays you know we we're here we're talking about movies and stuff and our concerns are miles and miles and kind of worlds away from the concerns that are depicted in this movie and sometimes it's nice just to be able to see and, and, and kind of face it so that you're reminded about what's really going on out there and you know whether you're right or left or, or kind of what your political beliefs are I think there's something to um, be learned from this and uh, so I would I would strongly recommend it although I'm not sure I would say it's one of the the best docs that I've seen in the last couple of years and my second recommendation is going really nerdy, but since we've had some Legend of Zelda talk um, and some anime talk, I guess I'm not going to go um, you know, too off uh, of what we've already been discussing. But it's uh, the new Magic the Gathering uh, set came out, Born of the Gods, and me and my group of friends here last summer got back into playing magic cards which we did in like middle school and and some of them had had continued doing i'd been i hadn't played in probably a decade uh but it was the summer of magic and the summer of magic turned into the fall of magic which has turned into the winter of magic and will probably become the spring of magic and uh just uh, it's a, a thing we all get uh get together and do and it's kind of a fun little uh, strategy game to play a uh, new set came out which means new cards which means more money uh to be spent uh but it also means that the game evolves a little bit because that's one of the the pluses about releasing these new sets is kind of the the overseers of the game are able to um, make the cards in a way that the uh that the game's kind of living you know you've got some sets that are faster or slower than others and and it's just uh, becomes more of a learning experience, makes things a little uh, more difficult and a little bit more engaging. So uh, with uh, house hunting and moving and other life things going on, I haven't had the, the time to to play in a week or so, but uh, I'm looking forward to jumping in. So that's Magic uh, Born of the Gods. Solid. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. If you want to leave us some feedback uh, or uh, suggestions for topics, they're more than welcome. You can uh, send us an email at thesecinemasters at gmail.com uh, or by going to our page at thesecinemasters.blogspot.com where you can also find links to our other podcasts, the Rogue Arrow podcast, the Mainframe Chronicle podcast, and the Colson Lives podcast. Uh, please rate and review us on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Those are good ways to let us know how we're doing. So do that. 
Uh, and then while we sign off, we're going to introduce ourselves and then rank the shows or the movies of Jud Jud Apatow. Uh, so as always, I am Daniel Janes. You can follow me on Twitter at amazing base. That's amazing. B A S S. My (laughs) rankings follow the, uh, rotten tomato rankings, which is, uh, knocked up as number one, followed by 40 year old virgin and then funny people. And then this is 40. And I am Jacob Lynn. You can follow me on Twitter at Lynn Jacob. And I want to give a quick shout out to Arrow because it's been awesome. So listen to the Rogue Arrow podcast, although you probably already are if you listen to this. And my uh, Apatow films rank uh, in chronological order with a 40-year-old virgin knocked up and funny people. And I have to omit this is 40 because I haven't seen it yet. And I'm Andrew Miller. I don't have anything. So you don't have to follow me. <laughs> I will I'm also rank in chronological order. So same as you. Boom. And my name's Tyler Crouch. You can follow me on Twitter at Tyler A. Crouch. Uh, mine would be Knocked Up, 40-Year-Old Virgin, This is 40, and <sighs> Funny People. I mean, they're kind of – I don't want to give one of those the last – because, I, I mean, I love all Judd Apatow, but – those are tied for third. I won't give anybody last place like that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do it. How generous. We'll give everybody last place. Huh? <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening. And that was a podcast. Hey, brother, there's an endless road to rediscover. Sister, know the water sweet, but blood is thicker. Oh, if the sky comes falling down for you, there's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. The Sin Masters Podcast is an autological media productions podcast. You can leave us feedback at thecinemasters.blogspot.com or send us an email at thecinemasters at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes and like us on Facebook and go over to almppodcasts.blogspot.com to check out our other shows. As always, thank you for listening. I like it. I know, it's great, right? Another! Bye-bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? If it takes a minute. Bye!